Bible a very important, a very famous, and a very special passage to me. I've preached on it before, but I want to preach a completely different message on it today, and that is in Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter number 33. And there's a reason for this passage. It's one of the best passages, I think, in Scripture. It's not all exactly uh, uh, comforting because the people lived in sin. It, they were doing terrible, sin, sinful things. But I want you to see the spirit of Moses in all of this. Moses is one of the best studies you'll have in your Bibles. The Bible speaks of Moses having a have a firm hold on his household. He was a man that uh, didn't want to lead, but he was capable and he led uh, dramatically. And yet what I would remember Moses for is someone who wanted to get close to God in every way he could. And that's what I want to look at today because really he speaks of a closer walk with the Lord. And that's something that all of us should want. Now, if you look at Exodus 33, look at verse 18. He said to God, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now, we'll look at the background of this. That looks like it's kind of taken right out of the passage. It is, but it's not out of context. But at this time, the things that came together, he said, God, would you show me your glory? Have you ever thought about seeing the glory of God? You'll see a lot of contrasts in this today. Now, if you look back in verse 11, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. In other places, it says, no man can look at me and live. It says, uh, verse 20, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But he spoke unto Moses face to face. As a man speaketh unto his friend, he turned again into the camp. In other words, Moses had already been in the very presence of God, probably the presence of his glory, but he had spoken to him like a man would speak to his friend. That's really a remarkable thing to say about Moses, isn't it? And yet he still wants to see the glory of God. Now think about that. Face to face, this is a man that's past 80 years old. God spent 80 years getting him ready to serve him. And at 80 years old, uh, he is leading Israel out of Egypt. And he said, God, would you show me your glory? Look at some more about this. In verse uh, 11, last part of it, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Being in the tabernacle here where God spoke to Moses face to face, Joshua didn't want to leave it. He didn't want to leave that place. Moses left on business, didn't he? But he didn't want to leave this place. Have you ever been in a place where the singing was powerful, the, the preaching was powerful, and he just didn't want to go? You just didn't want to leave. I just love, I'm looking forward to these special meetings come Wednesday night. Why do I say that? Because if you come Sunday, you'll enjoy yourself and you realize what you missed. Come Wednesday night, come to every one of the services, you'll enjoy it. This is a young man, I was thinking about this. He's older now than when James first came to, uh, to preach to us in this church. And James is old now. Actually, his birthday's tomorrow. But uh, he's really old now. But... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, at any rate, come early, come often. Joshua didn't want to leave. That's why Joshua distinguished himself too. Why? He wanted to be in the presence of God. Remember in Philippians 3, Paul says, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto the death. You can see a characteristic of great men in the Bible that wanted to get closer to the Lord all the time. What happens when you get closer to the Lord? Well, I can tell you this. In Moses' case, what happened to him? He did one thing wrong. 
He got impatient with the people you wouldn't want to deal with. They were a mixed multitude. And instead of speaking to the rock as God told him, he smote the rock the second time. What did God say? You can't go into the promised land now. Why? Because God doesn't change the rules for the ones that serve him. We still serve him the way we expect people to serve him, that we preach that people should serve him. Paul wanted to know him. Is that the desire of your heart? Probably look at chapter 32 and verse 19. Look at Proverbs, I mean, this chapter 32 and verse 19. Exodus, it says, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. He's been at the mountain of God with God himself. He has been there receiving the commandments written on two tables of stone, written by the finger of God. They hear a noise in the camp, and Joshua says, it is a, it is a, a, a war in the camp. He said, no, 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 that's not war. That's idolatry. They are there. They are dancing and singing noise before the God of all the earth. Well, don't you suppose that Moses, having left the very presence of God, now goes down and sees that these people that he's led out of Egypt, who have watched the Red Sea part, who have seen as, uh, watched as God provided their needs, they've watched, those people have witnessed, the, uh, as it were, the presence of God on that mountaintop, and they know that Moses has been gone for 40 days, and now they're going back to the idol worship that they left in Egypt. You ever just get sick of sin? That's what was, what was Moses' heart, I'm certain. He was just sick of sin that was all around him, wasn't he? Tired of sin. Paul reflects that in Romans 7. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And when Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, he said, let all those who know the plague of their sin come before you in this place. You know what our sin is? It's a plague. It's a plague. And the more you realize it's a poison, the farther you'll stay from it, and the better off you'll be. You just want to get closer. And in chapter 33, verse 3, this one here just breaks my heart. Chapter 33, verse 3, well, in verse 2, I will send an angel before thee. I will send, this is after they have worshipped an idol. I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that incredible? You're, I'm sending you into that land. I'm going to drive out all these enemies. But look at the last part of verse 3. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. How discouraging would that be? How discouraging. You know, when Israel had a chance as a body, if you want to talk about democracy, there it is. As a body, they say, Moses isn't coming back. Let's worship the gods of Egypt. And they did so to their own uh, detriment. As a body, they said, oh, no, no, no. God's too scary. You speak to us, Moses. We don't want to speak to God personally. The priesthood was established because they were afraid to come before God's presence. And now God says, Okay, I'm going to fight the battle. I'm going to send my angel before you, but I'm not, having to, I'm not going with you. I'm not going to go among you. Wouldn't that make you sick of sin? 
Wouldn't that make the people of Israel sick? And I know this. The part we're going to look at here today is just how God's glory is His mercy and forgiveness. His compassion and mercy. If those people said, what's wrong with us? And had repented, it could have gone back to where it should have been. They felt the price of their sin, didn't they? There were a few that did so with Moses. But in the midst of this, he says, would you show me your glory? Would you show me your glory? In other words, Moses wanted a closer walk with the Lord. Is that the desire of your heart? Is that the desire of your heart? The closer you walk with the Lord, the, the more he writes by his spirit, his goodness, his grace, and his fruit in your face. That was poetic. I'm not even a poet. It's not even written down here. Someone take that down, would you? Uh, no, the closer you walk with him, the sweeter it gets. It always does. Always does. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless this time together? Once again, I pray that you give me a burden to share with your people. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to speak and mostly your power to speak, Lord. So it's not me. I'm just hanging. I'm standing behind the cross, but that people would see Jesus high and lifted up. Would you bless this time and do a work in each and every heart? In Jesus' name, amen. I like to read missionary stories. I like to read stories about people that have given their lives for the Lord. I like to read stories about great preachers. And I traveled more in the past than I do now. But every time I'd go somewhere, I'd try to bring something back for Nora. Sometimes they have these little salt cellars. They used to put a little salt dish by your plate and a tiny little spoon instead of a salt shaker. And we have a few of those. I picked them up in different places. I went like Texas and Florida, wherever. But I like to pick up books for Nora, and I pick up books from my library, theological books, and I'd pick her up books written by preachers' wives. I enjoyed doing that. A book written by Spurgeon's wife, written by missionaries' wives, so that she would get the ministry from the perspective of another one who goes through the same things. I want to walk closer to the Lord, don't you? He wants a closer walk. First of all, he had experienced much. He had experienced much. Look back over your life and think, I, I was with my friend last week, and he called me two or three times this week. His mom and dad called me a couple of times this week because I lost a cousin of mine. And uh, we're just enjoying each other's company and knowing that each one would be praying for the other. But, you know, Bill said to me this. He says, you know, uh, we're going to be old next year, okay? We've been friends for 63 years. And most people that have had friends for 63 years are older than I am, I think. I think. Maybe not. Maybe not. We met in school. But, you know, he said, I don't really care about my life. He's saved. He says, I've had a good life. We were talking about his dad. His dad just turned 92 two weeks ago. He said, my dad's had a great life. My, we've had great lives. Well, look at Moses' life. He's asking God to give him more, give more to him. And Moses is already in his 80s. That's a little older than I am. And he's starting out his ministry, isn't he? He was called to serve at 80. He was the youngest of three brothers. And my cousin that died is the son of my dad's next older brother, even though my namesake Donald was between them and he was killed in World War II. But he was the, the second, no, he's the third son's oldest. And I know he's not the oldest, he's the oldest son, but he's got an older sister. 
Isn't it funny that Moses had an older brother and a sister? If you look at Numbers chapter 12, you'll see that maybe there was some uh, strife amongst the siblings. And why should the youngest be granted all these privileges? In Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron, that's his brother and sister, spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. They don't say anything about the Ethiopian woman. They're mad at him because he married an Ethiopian woman, but they don't bring that up. Instead, they say, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it out. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. His sister and brother, that were older, said, Hey, you're the youngest. You're the kid in the family. You're going to tell us that God only spoke by you. Now, they were aggravated by something else, but it got in their craw. It got under their saddle, burr under their saddle. And they said, has God only spoken by you? Well, he certainly hadn't spoken by those two, had he? And God really punished Miriam. It was probably Miriam instigating this. I'm just guessing that, but I suspect that's so. You know, when he had experienced all this stuff, he was called to serve at 80, and his brother and sister were, I think, 82 and 84, right in there. And yet, that's when he delivered Israel, when his ministry started that late. I don't know if there's anyone in their 80s here, a couple older than 80 maybe, but you think about that. How would you like to start your ministry at that age? And he had started it then with an older brother and sister that, somewhat were critical of him. He had just spent 40 days in the mount. Chapter 24, verse 18, he had spent 40 days in the mountain of God. If you go back to chapter 24 and verse 18, what does it say? It says, And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. What had Moses experienced in all this time? Well, he had been in God's very presence for 40 days. You know, if you've been in God's presence for 40 days, if you've experienced God's sweet presence, if you've communed with God, it doesn't even have to be for 40 days, you want to go back to that place, don't you? You want to go back to that place. The day, place I got saved, I've shown all my kids now twice. I've asked if we could go into the house where the people bought it in the 60s. And I say right there is when I bowed and asked Jesus to save me, 1967. Hey, when you have walked with the Lord, when he's touched your life, you want to go back to it and have some more, don't you? You remember some of the sweet uh, services you've been to? First one we went to in Florida. I don't think, Tom, did you go to that first one? I don't think you did, did you? That first one I went to, Nora went with me. Nora was expecting Anna at the time. Okay, we went to that service, and after we were all done, after a week of preaching, after a week of preaching, the kids didn't want to leave. They all gathered around the piano, and they played for at least a couple of hours. It happened for a long time. Many years it happened that way. Why? The young people didn't want to leave either. When you've been in his presence, his company, as Moses was, you want to go back to that place. You want more of it, don't you? You want more of it. Forty days in the mountain. The glory of God was like a devouring fire, 24-17. And I have to ask this. Was he oblivious to the fasting? I believe he fasted 40 days and 40 nights both time he went to the mountain. Was he oblivious to fasting? 
Spurgeon would give an invitation on Sunday and say, now if any of you want to talk to me about your soul's salvation, come and see me tomorrow morning in my office. And in the, in the morning he'd be in his office and there'd be a line of people that wanted to come and talk to him. And there were times when he'd go there and the whole day would go by as he spoke to people about their soul's needs, talked to them about being saved and having conviction about their salvation and maybe dealing with them with their problems. And the end of the day would come and he'd realize he hadn't eaten at all. I suspect it was that way for Moses in the mount, don't you? For 40 days and 40 nights, I can tell you this from my experience, the first three days, you don't forget about it. Every thought is eating. And I went on the Atkins diet one time, obviously not recently, and I went on that diet, and it's harder to get off sugar than it is to get off food, period. And every time you turn around, you want something to eat, you think about it constantly, but we have no record that Moses did. I suspect that being in the presence of God, he didn't even think about physical needs. He was enjoying the spiritual needs that were met in his life. Oblivious to fasting, most likely, God gave him the pattern for the tabernacle. Now in our text, we're going to see that they went up into the tabernacle. Uh, I forget which verse it is. Uh, they went up into the tabernacle in our text, and uh, it's probably in 33. I was looking at 32. And that was probably a temporary meeting place because the tabernacle wasn't built till later. While he was in that mount, God sketched out for him, showed him a vision of the tabernacle in heaven so that he could know how to duplicate it here on earth. Man, I've looked at some architecture. I've seen architecture in big English mansions like Buckingham Palace and all that. I don't want to live there, but I sure appreciate the woodwork. And, and I've looked at some stuff, and I wonder, we were talking about it yesterday, how in the world it, did 2,000 years ago the Greeks make columns and Corinthian columns and Dorian columns, and there's another kind, whatever it is, all these columns out of marble and granite, probably marble. How did they make those and sand them and smooth them so that they'd last for more than 2,000 years? I don't know how they do that. They say you can do anything out of marble and granite that you can do out of wood. Yeah, but back then, they didn't have a shaper like I have. They didn't have belt sanders like I have, not that I'm aware of. But what would he have seen of the tabernacle, the pattern of it in heaven? Man, when God made it, I just read, God planted a garden east in Eden. I wonder how that went. I don't know about you, but I look down the rows and I want to see that they're all perfectly straight. I know I've planted, I've plowed. I want that row perfectly straight, okay? Now they cheat. They use GPS to do it. But if God planted a garden Eden, what would it look like? If he showed the perfect plan that the earthly tabernacle matched, what would that have looked like? He was in that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and it was to be clad in gold and silver, and purple and scarlet were the, uh, the fastenings to the walls, and it would have been an incredible, and cedar was there. It would have looked beautiful, smelled beautiful, I came out of my mom's closet the other day, I was doing some work for her. And I had that little billy club, it was about this long, and it was made out of cedar. And it looked like a really short bat. Now, when I played baseball, I used a big bat, okay? And this was a really short bat, and it had the knob on the end, and there was a hole drilled in it with a leather uh, strap on that. And my mom had it in her closet, and I came out with that, and I said, Mom, 
you know, I made this for you probably around 1968 or 69. Yeah, she's had it all that time. She likes having it in her closet. I had completely forgotten about that. It's nothing to make that a lathe. I've been just thinking about setting up my lathe and just playing on it because it's fun. But you think of all the things that Moses saw when he was in that mount. He saw what God's, this is what I want you to build down on earth. He saw all those things. He saw the pattern for the priests and the priest's garments. He saw the, the commandments about the offerings, the offerings that were to make the tabernacle and all that stuff. He saw all that stuff. He already interceded. When this happens, if you go back to chapter 32, You'll see of the things that he's happened that, that, that have happened that he's experienced as he comes to this place and says, I want more of you. In chapter 32 and verse 7, notice this. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people. God didn't even own them. Thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. We can't blame someone else when we mess up. We did it to ourselves, didn't we? They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them. I will make of thee a great nation. Now, a lot of people say, hey, that's a great idea. I can't do worse than they've done. Yeah, you probably can. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of the, this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham and Isaac. You can read through all this. And you know what you see? That already when Moses is shown the corruption of his own people, he begs God in their behalf. And God said, I'll make a new people out of you. And you know what? If you really know what sin is, if you've gotten close to God, you know that we always fall short. That's why Romans 7 was written. One of the greatest men that ever walked apart from Jesus. He said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's why Solomon dedicated the temple and said, those that come here knowing the plague of their own sinfulness. Yeah, you understand your sin when you're close to him, aren't you? Hey, the darkness is more fully revealed in the brilliant light. He experienced their need for an intercessor, and he interceded with an angry God for the people of Israel, who very richly deserved judgment. In fact, 3,000 of them died the day he got back. And you know, in chapter three, 33, I told you this was here, verse 7 Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp afar off. So he made a, a representative tabernacle, apparently, a place of meeting. And he got close to God there, and that's the tabernacle Joshua wanted to stick next to. But that wasn't the tabernacle that was shown him in the mount. They haven't made it yet. That's the next few chapters. He had that meeting place in that tabernacle. Chapter 40 is the building and the setting of the tabernacle.
And that's the central figure in Numbers chapter 2. In chapter 34, verse 33 is the veil that he put on his face. Why? Because of all the things that he's experienced when he gets in God's presence, there's a glow to his face that the people find unsettling. Say, so explain that. I can't really explain it much more than that, but I know this. You'll see if you have grandkids, if you have kids even. When I have grandkids, my little granddaughter came in the other night and she looked at me and she just smiled. And by the way, my youngest granddaughter. It doesn't matter who's holding her, mom or dad holding her, and I snap my fingers and get her attention, and her face lights up. I'm sure it's because I'm her favorite of all time. But you know what? If you were in God's presence, your face would light up, wouldn't it? Your face would light up because you're in the very presence of God, and most people don't experience that. It's not a competition. It's an invitation. He experienced much. He exacted much. He has just begged God on their behalf. But look at chapter 33 and verse 3. Chapter 33 and verse 3, it says, he's get, they're going to a land of flowing with milk and honey, but God wouldn't go among them. We've read it. God wasn't going to go among them. Isn't it a sad thing when they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll keep your commandments. We'll keep your commandments, but we don't want you to talk to us. You talk to a priest, and we'll talk to a priest. He'll be the intermediary. They didn't want to get close to God. And what has been more compromised down through the last 2,000 years of history than the priesthood? You know what makes a Baptist different? As a believer, you're a priest. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus, the one who bore your sin. He mediates between you and God. You don't need a man in a dress to do so. Okay. He said. They said. They said. Um, well, in the New Testament, we won't have this man to rule over us. In the Old Testament, don't speak to us, God. Speak to someone in between. He knew their loss, didn't he? Here's a man coming out of Egypt with this this crowd of people who desperately wants to go into the land of promise that has been part of their history for for 400 years at least. And though he couldn't go, that's where his heart was to be in the place where God's blessing and provision was. And now he comes down out of the mount in 40 days. And those people have already turned to idolatry. I already turned to idolatry. Well, God's people should know better, shouldn't they? There is no cow made out of gold that does anything for me. There's no golden idol or there's no tree I could cut down and and form an image on that I would bow down and worship. They had the very the evidence of the presence of God because there was that uh, pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that followed them protected them, shielded them. God's people should know better, shouldn't they? Not only that, God's people should represent our God better than that. Wouldn't it have been exciting coming across that Red Sea on dry land? Steve said this morning, there's a wall of water on both sides. Now, I was thinking in my mind, 
how far back would you have to turn that wall of water to ice to before that wall would overcome the ice? It wasn't. It was a wall of water. God blew it up on two sides, and the ground was dry before them. Some say, well, that was a reed sea, so the water was, it wasn't that big of a deal. It only went oh, I don't know, a couple feet deep. Well, how did you get a wall out of that? Not even midgets used two-foot walls, okay? It was a wall of water. They'd all experienced that. I doubt that kids are much different today. If I were walking through that, you know what I would have done? I would have gone over and pushed my finger into that water, see what it felt like. You men, you'd do the same thing with Scott. You, yeah, Steve, yeah, you'd, you'd I'd see what it feels like. Yeah. But there's a, they watched that. They should, and they've been delivered from Egypt. Moses, as their leader, would have thought, you guys are doing a pathetic job of representing God. Now, back in Exodus 20, and it's also reiterated in Deuteronomy 4, God gave them his law to be an example to the nations. They've already gotten the law, Exodus 20, to be an example to the nations. You know what we have today? People lie with impunity, both sides of the aisle. People lie with impunity. People find an excuse to evade responsibility. And we could go down a long list of those things. Shouldn't they represent God better? Shouldn't they represent God better? And they're God's servants. They should lead. Aaron failed. Aaron failed. He said, oh, well, yeah, uh, they came to me and said, uh, show us the gods. And he said, well, just give me your gold through the fire. And shebang, here came this golden calf. No, it didn't. This older brother didn't really want to face his brother, his younger brother, did he? You don't really see Aaron having high points like this in his life. Why? He doesn't seem to have wanted to get that close to the Lord. You see Joshua doing so. They displayed their rebellion. And this one here bothers me too. Look at this in Deuteronomy 32. Now I can tell you this certainly. When I was in school, I liked reading history, but I hated history class. There's a reason for that. I can remember numbers, but I can't remember names. And they tell you all these different ways to remember names, and you know what works for me? If I get embarrassed enough times, I'll remember your name. Okay? That's the key to me. But what I do like about history is some, some wonderful artifacts from history. My daughter gave me a coin from the time that Jesus walked. You know, you can find those things. And I think, what all has that thing seen if it could speak? But if you'll look here at Deuteronomy, I mean, Exodus 32, verse 19, it says this, And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, when he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and it cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. He broke those tables. In verse 16, God made them. 24, 12, God made those tables and wrote on them with his finger. Now, when I say I like history... Can you imagine finding a broken piece of that actual tablet? I don't think you could. What man would do would be worship it. 
When I see these things that are dripping with history, it thrills my soul. And Moses came down, and after all he'd experienced, he saw their idolatry. He broke the tablets that God's finger itself wrote upon. He displayed, um, he showed justice for those idolaters, didn't he? He ground up that calf and fed it to him. Fed it to him. And in chapter 32, verse 8, it says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made that golden calf. And the result of that in verse 28, And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. I mean, think about 3,000 men. 3,000 men didn't want to commit to being on God's side. And those are 3,000 men that Moses said, God, don't destroy them. Because the Egyptians will say, you could bring us out, but you couldn't bring us in. But they were still rebellious. They wouldn't stand on the Lord's side, and they died that day. So he exacted much, but number three, he expected more. He expected more, didn't he? He says, God, show me your glory. Now, I can understand that. I'd want to see his glory too, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to? He expected more. In 33, 11 through 19, I, I, we could turn there, but he fled to the Lord. We don't have to read it again. But in verse 18, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But behold, and the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me. Thou shalt stand upon a rock. It shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff to the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will make, uh, take away mine hand, thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Here is one of the greatest men in Scripture that could not see the holy face of God and live. One of the greatest men in Scripture. People, if you're a Mormon, you believe that God was once a man like we are. You would believe that Jesus Christ and Lucifer are brothers. That's their doctrine. Okay? That couldn't be further from the truth, could it? You can't see my face and live, but here, I'll put you in a cliff to the rock. You know why that's interesting? That's where we get this song, Rock of Ages. And other songs about the rock that followed them. God said, you can't see me and live. Mo Moses said, show me your glory. And he says, my glory is I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful, and I will, and I will be gracious to whom I show grace to. You know what the glory of God is? That he's merciful to us. The difference between mercy and grace is mercy comes first when you deal with your sin. God, be merciful to me a sin. Mercy is where you say, God, I deserve hell. I confess I'm a sinner. And God forgives your sin. The grace is he gives you life that you didn't earn or deserve. He doesn't give you the bad things we deserve. He gives us good things we don't earn. That's the glory of my God. People say, you have a bloody religion. Yeah, that blood gives me justification. 
and it satisfies the holiness of God. That's why Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. He died bearing my sins, paid the debt in full that I say I'm guilty of, but he rose again saying that debt was paid and accepted, and I, I stand in the, whole, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, though I'm still a sinner. You see, he expected more. He fled to the Lord for refuge. Where do you find refuge? There are going to be burdens that come upon you. Sometimes that burden is just not knowing what to do. Not knowing what to do. Sometimes the burdens of this life get over on top of you. And you don't know what to do. Do you flee to the Lord? Or do you flee to man? The government wants you to flee to the government. He fled to the Lord. Um, how do you influence others? Joshua lingered there. Joshua went on to become a great leader in Moses' place. How do you influence others around you? He displayed boldness to a God who is fearsome. No man can see my face and live. That's how fearsome he is and how holy he is. He displayed boldness to the God of heaven. You know, it takes sweet fellowship with the Lord to have the confidence to be bold before Him. That's why Hebrews says, we have one mediator. That's Timothy, but he says, we come to God through Christ, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? My sin's paid for. My sin's paid for. He longed for more. Show me your glory. He found that secret that his glory is mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. A holy God shows grace and mercy to those who not only don't deserve it, can't earn it, and certainly couldn't keep it if they tried. You know, the sad thing is, the children of Israel said over and over, okay, we'll keep this, these commandments. That happened just a short time before this. In Exodus 20, we'll keep these commandments. And then they go into idolatry. God says, don't take foreign wives, uh, uh, daughters of idolaters to be your own wives because they'll draw your heart away. And they took those daughters and they drew their hearts away. He found that secret, which is grace and mercy. You should be thrilled to be able to tell someone about the mercy and grace that come in Jesus Christ. Why? People have a hard time in this world today. There are burdens and fears and sometimes disgust and disappointment. But I can tell you this, Jesus will never disappoint you. Never will. He found that secret. How can you walk with him without that same conviction of his mercy and grace? I think that was spelled out more and more in Paul's life in Romans 7. Moses' life, when he was offered to make a new kingdom out of him, they all knew their sin. And Solomon, when he said, if you come with knowing the, the depravity of your soul and you come and pray at this place, hey, knowing that we're sinners makes a difference, doesn't it? Not only that, he found security. He found the secret, but he found security too. Chapter 33 and verse 21 and the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. He stood on that rock. By the way, 
That's what is associated with an eagle. An eagle has a rock from the day they're first hatched till the day they die, and they can live 120 years and not look a bit different from a yearling. I heard a, a man speak on that from North Carolina. You know, that eagle goes back to that rock as his, as his refuge. And our refuge is Jesus Christ. You know, when God said, Moses, you can't go to the promised land, a few times later he said, God, would you please let me go into that promised land? And you know where a lot of believers are? And God said, no, and don't talk to me about it again. You know where a lot of believers are? Those two and a half tribes that stayed on the east side of Jordan said, hey, this is fine for us. We'll build a counterfeit altar to remind everyone we're really part of you guys, but this river's between us. And the land that Moses was buried in uh, was preferable to them to the land that he begged God to allow him into. Lots of people are happy short of God's blessings. I'm not. I want to be in the middle of his blessings. He found security in the rock. In verse 22, it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in a cliff to the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. I don't know about you, but we'll have to close with this, but look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And it is funny how many people think that you have to keep your salvation. My salvation's a done deal. Okay? John chapter 10 Verse 28, I give unto them, his sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'm saved and kept since the day I got saved in 1967. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So when you see God tell Moses, I'll put you in that cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand, it's just exactly like the New Testament where we're saved and put in Jesus' hand and the Father's hand covers us. Isn't it great to have confidence in Jesus? Meeting Him is the best thing ever happens in your life. Moses wanted the presence of God. The crowd wanted a representative. There are lots of people today in the same 12 p.m. It's noon now, in case any of you are wondering. It's noon. Lots of people today are happy to know people that know God, but they don't want to be close to Him personally. And you miss out on the greatest blessings of life. The greatest blessings. Of course, if I had asked you today, are you saved? You know it. I hope you are. I don't know of anyone who's not. But do you follow the crowd? The crowd's going to lead you astray every time. Sometimes it's a crowd in a church. Big churches have been, I mean, I, I had a pretty good-sized youth group when I was in high school, and some of those tried to lead me astray too, but my dad kind of kept an eye on me. He figured out early on he needed to, okay? Are you led by the crowd? Do you find indulgence in sin to be uh, uh, exciting? Well, then you're not longing for the close presence of God. Are you longing for more? So many times in the New Testament, God says, I want you to increase and abound in our gathering together. I want you to increase and abound in the 
in service. I want you to increase. He wants us to grow and grow and grow, don't you? Don't you? Moses just wanted more. Do you want more of the Savior? That's something he's glad to indulge you in. But if you're content with the world, it'll be a downward course the rest of your days. And unfortunately, we get so hardened that we find a hard, it's hard to come back. And I'm not talking about the difference between saved and lost. I mean, saved people go downhill too. Sometimes their pride keeps them from coming back. Listen, do you want more of him? Why don't you ask God to give you more of him and enjoy his comfort and presence even more? Let's pray.